Good morning. It's been kind of a crazy week this week. Um, we met together last Sunday. We had no idea what this week was going to hold. But as we sit and think through this whole issue with the coronavirus, uh, we can look at it as a negative. We can look at it as something that's inconveniencing us. Or we can look at it as an opportunity from the Lord to serve. Throughout church history, the church has been the one who, in the midst of crises, has stood up and done what God has called us to do. So as we think through what we are going to do as City Church, what we're going to do as individuals as part of City Church, what does that mean for us as we deal with this crisis that's happening in the world? Uh, I know throughout the history, like I said, the church has been the one who's helped. But what I'm seeing, unfortunately, right now on a lot of Facebook posts and different things is the church is panicking just as much as everybody else. We're not called upon to panic. The scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we need to, to begin to show the world that power and love and self-control and quit showing the fear. We're thankful that you are a part of our church. We are here. If you need us for anything, you let us know. You have contact information for all the elders. So we're here to serve in any way we can. If there's someone in the community that you know needs serving, we're here to do that. So just keep us posted. Now, as we begin, as we carry on with our study through Hosea, today we're going to be in chapters 7 through 10. Now, I know this study, we've been taking large swaths of the book uh, because it's a story, and it's not like looking through the epistles that are teaching uh, books that we can go through and walk verse by verse many times. These are telling us a story. As Brian said last week, it's a lived parable. So as we look at this parable, as we look at this life, there's things that, that we need to look at and understand. So as we begin into chapters 7 through 10, I have a quote that... Uh, I'm going to put up here on the screen that's going to probably tick everybody off. But just be ready. It says, Christians are more to blame for not being revived than sinners are for not being converted. Now, that sounds bad and sounds very judgmental towards Christians. But the reality is we have a power in us. We have an ability in us to be all that God has called us to be. Second Peter says that He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so as we sit and think through how do we live this life, we are more to blame for not being what God's called us to be than someone who's lost and does not have the power of the Holy Spirit has for not being converted. And yet many times we shift the things the other way. But as we're looking at Hosea 7 through 10, we realize that we are without an excuse But the nation of Israel was also without an excuse. They were given all kinds of different things that they could take and serve the Lord with. So as they were serving the Lord, they they were not being revived like they need to be. Israel's problem was not that their sin was worse than the world around them, but they were not living the life God had called them to and provided for them to live. God had given them the land. God had given them His promises. God had given them the law, which was a way of life. God had given them His presence. All these things were there for Israel to follow. And yet as we look throughout the the Old Testament, we see over and over again, they just continue to blow it. 
Now we look at it and we go, man, what's wrong with those people? Why couldn't they look at what God had done for them and still obey? The reality is they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. The Holy Spirit came and went in the Old Testament. And so they were living this life, but not with the same power that we have available to us today. So even though they were without excuse, we are even more so without an excuse. Now, as we look at chapters 7 through 10, we're going to look at three sins that were prevalent in the nation of Israel. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, "...when, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed." The evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside. Now, that doesn't sound real good. Sounds like all kinds of bad things are happening. I mean, we look around our world and we see it all the time. I know many people tell me all the time, well, the world's just getting worse than it used to be. If you read the Old Testament, you see the world's not getting any worse than it used to be. It's just now we have social media to show us on a daily basis, minute by minute, what's going on in the world. But as we walk through these three sins, as we think about this, the issue is, how does this impact their relationship with the Lord? We'll talk a little bit more in a little bit, but we remember we said that it's God's covenant love with the nation of Israel that this book is talking about. And then Brian talked about last week that their sins were bringing justice, that God was saying there has to be a payment for sin. There has to be an advocate. And Jesus, John tells us in in 1 John, Jesus is that advocate for us, that lawyer that takes care of the situation. But the first sin we see in the nation of Israel is the sin of deception. Like we just read in verse 1, that they deal falsely, the thief breaks in, the bandits raid outside. You say, well, deceiving doesn't seem to be that bad of a thing. Well, think of it this way. Think of if your leaders, your the people you were following, were constantly telling you something that was not true. Then you'd eventually get to a point where you'd become very callous. You wouldn't believe anything anybody says. You wouldn't believe the people around you. And so then you begin to live very suspicious and everything begins to become a fight to, to survive. And that's kind of what was happening here. They, they were being deceived. They were deceiving themselves. They were trying to deceive the Lord. They weren't being truthful with each other. Um, they kind of were living a, even though it's a more recent bumper sticker, they were trying to live the we're not perfect, just forgiven mentality. They're saying, you know what, we're God's people. We can kind of do our own thing because we're always going to be God's people. And that's dangerous to get into that mentality. That to say that because I prayed a prayer, or because I've been in church, or because I've given or done all these different things, that, that I'm okay and I can live however I want because I've got that fire insurance for when I die. And that's kind of the way the Israelites were living. If you look throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, they thought that because they were the nation of Israel, that nothing could go wrong for them. If life was kind of getting rough, it was just a matter of, that's just the way the world is and we'll be okay. But as you see, as we've talked about it a couple weeks ago, the nation of Israel eventually was destroyed, was taken into captivity. That God said, I'm done with you. And that's a scary place to be. So... So they were in this mentality that said, we're here to deceive. 
And we're here to do what we need to do to make the others around us do what we want them to do. And if we have to lie to do it, then we'll do it. And, that, and we'll see in a few minutes some, some specific examples of that. But a second sin that they were involved in is found in chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, which says this, For with hearts like an oven they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen and none of them call upon me. This was a nation of violence and murder. You know, you say, well, that's, that's kind of always been. Cain killed Abel, right? So, so murder's always been around. But let's think of it this way. Now, none of us in this congregation, uh, for the most part, are old enough to remember when John Kennedy was killed. I remember people ask me all the time, where were you when John Kennedy was killed? I say, well, wherever my mom was, because I was born three months later. But if we think about the way that the nation of Israel was handled, the way it would have been handled here in the United States if it was the same as Israel is Lee Harvey Oswald would have been the 36th president of the United States. He assassinated the president. He becomes president in his place. If you read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, over and over again, someone assassinates the king and becomes king in his place. And then the next person assassinates them and becomes king in their place. That's a, a crazy cycle to be in. But that's what the nation of Israel was doing. As a matter of fact, as we talked about that first week, there were two different, they divided into Israel and Judah. And Israel very quickly, in a matter of about 65, 70 years, went from being a good, following the Lord nation to being destroyed. And this was through a series of probably 15, 20 kings who were killing each other and, and deceiving each other and working all this kind of violence. And so this is what's going on in the nation of Israel. This is why God's saying this judgment's got to fall. And so the good thing is, no matter how crazy our world may seem, as we look at the election cycle and we look at different promises and different people who are running for president, the good thing is we don't have to sit and think that if someone assassinates the president, they can become president in their place. We have laws that, that go against that. We have ways of protecting against that. And so no matter how crazy life seems, we're not at this point that the nation of Israel was at this point in time. And then their third sin is found in Hosea chapter 7, verses 11 and 14. It says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. They do not cry to me from the heart. Now we've already read in, in chapter 7, verse 1, we're reading verse 11, the name Ephraim. And you say, well... That sounds like somebody different than Israel. It's not. It was a, a very um, affectionate name that God had for the people of Israel. It was really almost like, you know, a, a husband or wife calling their spouse honey. It's kind of that idea that he's, he's saying Ephraim, who I've built this covenant relationship with, is, is like a silly dove. They're doing the wrong things and they're, they're seeking out. What they're doing is, and what we're seeing here is, they're not calling upon the Lord. They're relying on the nation of Egypt. They're relying on Assyria. They are looking for um, military assistance to help them through all of these things. They're calling on their neighbors, but they're not 
turning to the Lord. Now that, that seems like, well, isn't it okay to ask for help? Isn't it okay for one nation to ask for help from another nation? Well, God had promised the nation of Israel that He would protect them. And it wasn't that they were saying, it wasn't that alliances with other nations were bad. We see it all throughout history, and that was part of it. But the thing was, they were calling for these alliances with these other nations and not calling upon the Lord. They were ignoring the Lord and seeking help somewhere else. It's sort of like if today we were trying to find a way to, to solve our problem. I think for me personally, and this is confession time, when I was younger, when things would get tight financially, I sought for help through Visa or MasterCard or American Express and not from the Lord who's promised to take care of my needs. And so therefore, I, because of that, I got into a situation where I was having to pay back debt that I didn't, didn't need to have. Now that's not the same as Israel calling on Assyria or Egypt to help them because Assyria and Egypt, Assyria especially comes in and wipes out the whole nation. Um, so it's a little bit different, but the issue is still the same that we're not calling upon the Lord. So let's go back and review what we've covered in the first two messages. Remember the first week we talked about in chapters 1 through 3 that this is talking about God's covenant love with Israel. That God has loved Israel with this covenant love. Remember the, the story of Hosea living out this parable of going to marry this prostitute who then has children by other men, goes back into prostitution, goes to the point of prostitution where now she's being sold on the slave block. And Hosea goes back and buys her back and redeems her. And that that God's covenant love is like that. That He loves us. Uh, Paul says that even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, He makes us alive. That our sins have separated us from Him, but He restores us. And so there's this covenant love. But then there's also the idea in chapters 4 through 6, like Brian talked about last week, that, that God's not going to tolerate sin. And it's not that he's sitting up there trying to be this killjoy or something like that. He knows what sin is doing to his people. So he constantly is correcting them and punishing them for their sin, not so that he can just be a, a mean daddy punishing. He's trying to restore the nation to himself. The goal of punishment, the goal of correction in sin is restoration. And that's what he's trying to do. So we saw that. So let's go back to our quote from the first part. Christians are more to blame for not being revived than sinners are for not being converted. You know, it's this idea of no matter how far away. I remember a a professor of mine said, no matter how far we wander from the Lord, we're always only two steps away from returning. He said those two steps are Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Know that the Lord has given us promises and obey what He's told us to do and that we'll we'll come back in that restoration. So we do have the opportunity to be changed, to be revived. And so let's think about how we do that. First off, it's not more sacrifice. Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, Hosea 8.13 says this, that they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. See, the Israelites thought, well, 
if things get bad, we'll just kill more sheep. If things get bad, we'll offer more sacrifices. Matter of fact, they, they went the other way. And instead of coming to Jerusalem for the sacrifices, they began to build high places all around the nation so that they didn't have to take the trouble to come all the way to Jerusalem to sacrifice. If I sin, I can just sacrifice over here. And that sounds good, but the issue was they were not doing what God had called them to do. And they thought that the more I give, the more lambs that I kill, the more blood that is spilled, then God will be pleased with me. But remember, we talked about the first week that... God says in Isaiah to, I mean in Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. If we do what God's called us to do, He's not worried about what we do and how we go through this. As a matter of fact, Paul in Colossians says, don't let people tell you that, that if you just eat certain things and treat your body a certain way and do these certain things, that that'll make you right with the Lord. So it's not a matter of saying, well, Lord, you should honor me because I've sacrificed so much for you. Or, or I've given my time, or I've given my money, or whatever it is. Those are not the things that restore our relationship with the Lord. Now, it's good to give our time. It's good to give our money. It's good to be self-controlled and to do things that, that God's called us to do. But it's not to earn the relationship. It's because we want to honor Him in the relationship. So returning to the Lord is not more sacrifice. It's also not more sin. You say, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, who would think that if I sin more, then God will be um, honored more? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans. He tells the, the Romans when they say, you know, why don't we just keep sinning so that, that God's grace will be even more? And you say, well, nobody would be crazy enough to believe that. You'd be surprised. I've been around church all my life. And there's a terminology we use, and it's good and bad. And we say we don't want to be holier than thou. Now, what we usually mean by that is we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to pretend to be holy when we're not. But there's also the other side of that equation where we say, well, you know, we got to fit in. If we're too holy then we'll be the weirdos and people won't know how to deal with us and we won't be able to talk to people. So let's just flirt around a little bit with sin. Let's, let's not get too far away because if we get too far away, then, then we're gonna pe- people are not going to listen to us and not going to even want to hang around with us. And if they don't hang around with us, how can we share the gospel? Well, that, that mentality is what destroys. And that's what Paul comes back to say. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. Another version says, God forbid. So the idea here is it's not that we just keep doing these things so that we can build this relationship. We don't, it's not sacrificing more. It's not sinning more. There's things that God has called us to do. In Hosea chapter 9, it says this, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. And you say, well, what does that mean? The days of Gibeah. We don't know anything about that. Well, if you get a chance this week, along with reading Hosea, read Judges chapters 19 through 21. Because this is what Hosea and God is referring to through Hosea is these days of Gibeah. And if you read chapters 19 through 21 of Judges, there's a couple of stories there 
that showed just how bad things had gotten in Israel. One of the stories is this guy, instead of having going to the temple, he sets up idols in his own home. And he hires a priest to come and lead him with that idolatry there in his own home. Another group of people come along and say, hey, that's a pretty good idea. They steal his priest and his idols and they go another way. So it's just showing that, that over and over again in Judges, man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And so there's this idolatry going on in the nation of Israel that's saying, this covenant love that I have with the Lord, I'm going to take and give to someone else. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Hosea 1-3, through this covenant love I have with my husband, I'm going to take and give to these clients in my prostitution. And so we've got to be careful there. This was happening there in the nation. And then you see there's a man who has a concubine. And, and we're not going to get into today concubinage and all of that and what was going on. But he had this woman that he was, was traveling with him. He stopped in a village. And the men from the village came and wanted to have sexual relationships with him. He said, well, here, just take my concubine. They were with her all night long, and she died on the steps the next morning. So the man, instead of mourning his, his girlfriend, he takes her and cuts her in 12 pieces and sends her to the nation of Israel. He says, this is what's happening in our nation. You say things are getting worse than they used to be? That's, that's some bad stuff. But that's what Hosea is referring to here. That they've corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness Upon you. Now, earlier on in one of the slides, I left out an E. If you're paying attention, it's supposed to say none. It said none. That's typo. This is not a typo here. The all caps on the Lord is not a typo. If you read through the scriptures, there's times when it's capital L O R D, and then there's times when it's all caps like this. When it's all caps like this, you need to take special note. Because what is happening here is it's going back to the name of God and it points to that covenant love. And so Hosea is reminding the people, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, seek the Lord, seek that steadfast love, seek that relationship once again. It's not a matter of, uh, of just seeking a leader. That's how the other way the Lord would work is he's just your master and your leader. This is Lord as in a covenant relationship. So don't go back and say, Wade doesn't know how to type, unless you look at the first slide. But So what we need to see here is we're talking about love beyond reason. It's a popular song today talks about reckless love. Now, I know what they're saying. I think sometimes we have to be careful because God's not being reckless in the way that sometimes we are when we drive a car. But, but it's the idea that God's love is unexplainable. It doesn't make sense. It's beyond reason that the God of the universe, 
that we thumbed our nose at, and we decided to do our own thing, we told him we don't care, loves us anyway, and constantly seeks to restore the relationship. And the way we do that is we seek the Lord. We find out what does He want. You say, well, Wade, that's, that's not always easy. You're right, it's not. There's times when it seems like we're talking to the Lord and He's not talking back. But I honestly think if we truly seek the way that He wants us to seek, we'll have no trouble hearing from Him. I think what happens is we ask the Lord for things that we want that may not be the best thing for us, or we expect an immediate answer, or we expect that we pray for for two minutes and everything's going to be okay. It's time to seek the Lord. Now, we're in a situation right now where we don't, we can't get out and do much. The government and, and everybody's asking us to stay home to curb this, this virus that's going on. Now, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. For those of us who are extroverts, it can be a little crazy sometimes to stay locked up in our house. But the issue is, what are we going to do with this time? We can sit around and catch up on all our TV shows. You know, you say, well, I'm at work all day, so i got to catch up with the soap operas that I miss while I'm gone, so let me go back and do that. Or we can take this time to seek the Lord. We can take this time to say, you know what, I'm, I'm quarantined, I've got to slow down, there's certain things I can't do right now. Take advantage of that. Spend time with the Lord. Read the book of Hosea. Read any other book that you want to choose from the Scriptures. Begin to, to seek after Him and what He wants from you. Seek to restore that covenant relationship with Him. Because that's what the book of Hosea is teaching us. That's what the Scriptures teach us. That's what God desires from us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for today. Thank You for this time when we can be together virtually. Lord, and uh, what an amazing world we live in that, that this is a possibility. But Lord, we know that your, your Word calls us to be together physically. And so Lord, we're praying that this situation will blow over quickly so that we can get back together uh, in our, our normal patterns. But Lord, we pray that in this time of abnormality that we will seek you. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.